to know all of the things that have to happen so perfectly for you to have a baby. And of course, we're scared our whole lives. You know, if you have sex once, you're gonna get pregnant. So I think that perpetuates this, oh, it's gonna be easy, when in all actuality, I mean, a year is very normal. And then miscarrying is also very normal. Hard, but normal. I'm Lane Cussman, and this is the Mind Body Mother Podcast, where we dive into the nitty gritty of all things physical and mental well being for moms, future moms, and all who identify with the motherhood journey. There is no such thing as TMI, taboo topics, or oversharing in these conversations with myself, a mom of two, and my incredible village of wellness experts. If it will help you physically, mentally, and emotionally, we're digging into it in these conversations. So grab that twice reheated coffee or tea, press play, and join me. This is the Mind Body Mother Podcast. Today is really a full circle moment for me. I am sitting down with certified nurse midwife, Bianca Weaver. I first met Bianca during the toughest days of my recurrent miscarriage journey. I had called the emergency number of my OB's office where there's both OB's and midwives and Bianca was the provider on call at the time. It was a Saturday, I was 11 weeks pregnant and had started bleeding and having had a miscarriage before, I was really nervous and Bianca told me that she could relate to what I was going through and told me that she'd meet me at the office the next day, a Sunday morning when the office was closed and give me an ultrasound. I was alone when I arrived that day Andrew was at home with Harper, who was two and a half at the time, and I didn't really want to involve in this whole process. Bianca had to break the news to me that not only was baby measuring small, but there was also no detectable heartbeat, which was a really, really tough moment. But having a provider there who could give me a hug, be empathetic to the situation, talk to me about her experience and possible next steps for me was so comforting and really made a huge difference in that moment and my entire experience looking back. You can go back to episode one of the Mind Body Mother podcast where I talk about our recurrent miscarriages and my journey to both of our boys. I think it goes to show how important your providers are, whether it's pregnancy or some other health issue, and we talk a little bit about that today. We also talk about the difference between an OB and a midwife. We talk about Bianca's tips for pregnancy, birth, optimal fetal positioning, and most importantly, we talk about Bianca's journey from having an accidental pregnancy that resulted in a miscarriage to multiple subsequent miscarriages, chemical pregnancies, IUI, IVF, and an ectopic pregnancy resulting in emergency surgery. Bianca went through a lot to get to both her son, who is now three, and her current healthy pregnancy with a baby boy who is due any day. Bianca shares her holistic approach to infertility, from her weight loss journey that led to getting a normal cycle back, to ridding her house of plastics, acupuncture, supplements, and also all of the hormones that she was on during fertility treatments, and of course having done her IUI and ultimately IVF, which led to both of her successful pregnancies. Whether you've gone through or are going through something similar, you know someone who is, or are interested in hearing this story, this episode is emotional, it's powerful, and it's packed with so many incredible takeaways. 
Before we get into today's episode, I just want to take a moment to thank you for being part of the Mind Body Mother community. I would love if you could take a second to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps other moms find these conversations with inspiring and knowledgeable guests like Bianca. Tell us a little bit about your journey to growing your family. What have been some of the challenges? What's that experience been like for you? It's been definitely a road. We got married in 2014. I wanted to wait a couple years before we had a kiddo. And I used natural family planning um, before that just because it was easier. I didn't necessarily love the way birth control made me feel. And uh, my cycles were regular. So we got pregnant on accident, as most people do with natural family planning. Um, we were really excited, you know, obviously very, very surprised, but really excited. And then I started bleeding. Um, I probably was six and a half weeks, started bleeding and ended up miscarrying at about nine, nine and a half. Um, and I was devastated. I you know, working in labor and delivery as a nurse at the time, I didn't really know how to cope. I didn't really um, have anybody to talk to about it because most of my friends at that point weren't necessarily married. People hadn't had miscarriages. So I found it really like challenging to, to understand like, why me? How did this happen? And then, you know, you go down the rabbit hole of, okay, is this going to keep happening? Am I going to going to be able to have children um you know and of course everybody feeds you that you're young you're healthy you're going to be okay you know so it was a challenging first miscarriage i think for sure um i i waited a couple years after that um to start trying because i did go into my midwifery program and i wanted to hopefully have a kiddo after i graduated so almost towards the end of my, um, my clinical, I, I um, started my fertility journey. My cycles, for whatever reason, had gotten very abnormal. I was bleeding all the time. Um, and I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I kind of, through my midwifery school knowledge, was trying to triage myself and see, you know, do I have fibroids, do I have polyps, do I have PCOS, do I have thyroid problems, like normal things that do cause irregular bleeding. Um, and nobody ever found anything. Um, so we decided, okay, let's get on some fertility medications with our OB at the time. Um, let's see if your cycles get better, if your bleeding gets better. And um, essentially I did, oh gosh, at least, it, I mean, it was at least nine months of that. Um, you know, I had to keep reminding my OB, like, you know, it's been like six months. I'm still on this medication. I'm on the highest dose. Like I'm still bleeding, you know, I'm taking metformin now I'm taking progesterone, like, you know, what's going on. So eventually she referred me to, um, a fertility specialist and we did an ultrasound there and they found a polyp in my uterus and they were like, okay, let's you know, clean the uterus out. Um, she had looked at my tubes through what's called an HSG um, and they were open. So she was like, okay, let's go take the polyp out. And then if you're not pregnant with another cycle, then we need to talk about doing IUIs. Um, so of course we were not pregnant after that. Um, 
and the surgery wasn't bad and nothing, you know, everything was good. So at that, this point, I was really hopeful for my IUIs. I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's just an issue with the sperm not getting to the egg or whatever the reason. So we did our first IUI, we're super hopeful, and then we're not pregnant. Um, do another IUI, she stimulates me with more medication. I have two follicles. I'm thinking, oh gosh, maybe I'm going to have twins. Super excited. Again, not pregnant. You know, third time I had three follicles <laughs> and I was like, oh gosh, I'm really rolling the dice at this point. Still very hopeful. Again, not pregnant. And at this point, um, one of the physicians in the group had said, you know, IVF would be your, your greatest chance of getting pregnant. Well, you know, being the stubborn nurse and person that I am, I was like, I don't need IVF. I, <laughs> I'm i just going to, you know, go get a second opinion. So, of course, I go get a second opinion. And that physician said the same thing. You know, you could do another IUI. Your chances are about 15%. Your chances of conceiving on your own with no fertility hope are about less than 2%. Um for no reason. Nobody could ever find a reason. Um, so at this point, I was a little dis I was more than a little disappointed. I was um, just kind of lost. So I started kind of grasping for straws. As I left that appointment, the doctor was also like, you know, you really probably should try to lose weight. Um, I would get on a low carb diet. Um, and at that time, I actually was overweight. I was, you know, in my opinion, significantly overweight. And I took what he said to heart. So I went home, I joined Weight Watchers after crying the entire way home from from Cincinnati to Louisville, um, joined Weight Watchers and decided I am going to get as healthy as I can. I started reading the book, It Starts With the Egg. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting book. Um, and I started going to acupuncture. It was a new set of eyes. She looked at my labs. She told me to get some supplements. Um, and I started like cleaning out the plastic out of my house and trying to get, you know, anything that could potentially damage my fertility out. Um, so it took me about nine months. And I think I lost like 35 pounds just with diet, exercise and, and like determination. I felt like I was in a really good spot and I called the clinic and I was like, you know what? I'm ready for IVF. Let's, let's do this. I'm still not pregnant on my own. And the cool thing was, you know, with doing all those interventions, my cycles actually got regular. Fun fact, you know, if you listen to your provider, it might help. Um, but at the time it was really hard to, you know, it's hard to hear any of those things. So, you know, we get, do our egg retrieval. We, um, get seven genetically normal embryos, one little boy, six little girls. And we go in for that first um, embryo transfer. And the doctor was, you know, could tell, I think we were just really excited. And he was like, listen, you know, chances are about 35% and just don't get too excited. And my heart dropped, you know, it's, it's hard. You go through all that and you're like, okay, I thought this was like, sure thing. You're putting this embryo in my uterus all it has to do is attach, you know, for the uneducated, you know, fertility brain. I'm like, come on, just, it just needs to attach. Of course it's going to work. So of course, um, you know, we get a, a positive test. We're so excited. I was over the moon. You know, we, we just couldn't, couldn't believe it. Couple, I think it was like a week or so later after a couple positive um, HCG levels, I started to bleed through all of the hormones they were giving me. And I just knew that this wasn't going to make it. Um, I called the clinic. 
they said, okay, you know, come in for HCG level. My HCG was ish the same. And then I had to wait a couple of days, went back, it had dropped a little. So they said, stop your medications. You're going to miscarry. And I was like, okay. So I go on to miscarry and they have to follow your HCG levels until they go to zero. So I went and they were still not zero. And let me tell you, those HCG levels did not get down to zero for three months. I was like tortured. I had to go every week and check these HCG levels and they just hovered 200, 300, 200, 300. Um, and it was, it was a really hard time. So after that period, I just talked to my doctor and I was like, listen, I can't, I can't do this. Like I need a break. And he was like, that's fine. Take your time. Your embryos are waiting. So we took, I think it was nine months. Um, and I went to Hawaii and we had always wanted to. And I was like, you know what? I just want to stop preparing for the next cycle. At this point, we had been doing this for years. Um, so we went, we had a beautiful vacation in Maui, came back and the next month we transferred and it turned out that was my little boy. Um, so we, and honestly, another little funny tidbit, we found out out of the seven embryos, we had one boy and six girls. So we were shocked that it was a little boy. Um, and my pregnancy was wonderful. I had no complications. I ended up with a C-section after, you know, being in induced um, per my request, to be honest, because I was just so ready to have a baby in my arms. Um, but I had ended up having a C-section because he was just too big. And um, we enjoyed him for quite some time before we were like, okay, let's try for another. Again, I had lost weight. So my cycles were normal. So we started trying in about nine months. Um I had several chemical pregnancies, which were really disappointing. Um, and then I went back when he was two and to my fertility doctor. And I was like, okay, doc, we got, you know, five embryos left. Like, let's do this. You think I can get two kids out of this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I think you can. I was like, great. I'm so excited. We do the first embryo transfer. I get positive quant, uh, you know, HEG levels and then miscarry. We transfer again. Again, so excited, so ready. We're like, okay, it worked the second time. You know, last time, this is our time. We got this. Embryo transfer, positive quants, and then miscarriage. Third time, I was like, okay, third time is the charm. Like, this this is a joke at this point. Like, this, this one has to work. This one's just going to be harder than the last one. That's okay. We can do this. We transferred. I get HCG levels that are rising. And then the last one we're doing falls a little bit. And the doctor was like, okay, this is a chemical pregnancy. Like stop your meds, miscarry. So I stopped my meds. I go in for another HCG level. At this point, I hadn't um, started bleeding and my HCG levels were increased. And, you know, as a medical professional, I know what that looks like. That's highly suspicious for ectopic pregnancy, which Ectopic pregnancy and IVF is, is surprisingly more common than the average, which most people don't know, because you think, oh, you put this embryo in the uterus. It shouldn't go in your tube, shouldn't go in the ovary, but sometimes it does. Um, so a doctor I was working with was like, you know, we should bring you back for a quick ultrasound. And I was like, well, I'm on call. I got patients I got to see in 10 minutes. Like, let's just hurry up, you know, thinking again, this is not going to be this there's no way I'm sure 
you know, is, this is not what's happening. So we go back there and the sonographer and the doctor are like, oh, she's got a lot of, you know, fluid in her pelvis. And I was like, what? <laughs> Again, I know what this means, but my, my being the patient, my brain was just like, there's no way this is happening. Like, this just doesn't feel real. And, you know, so they call my physician, which I see Dr. Nett too. Um, and that, you know, the two physicians are talking and they're like, yeah, we got to open you up. We got to take a look in there and see if it's an ectopic. And I was just like, okay, well, I can go after I see patients, you know, I'm done at four. <laughs> and they were like, no, no, you need to go to the OR like now, like this is an actual emergency. And I'm like, I know that, but in my brain, I'm like, this is still not happening. There's no way. And I'm signing these consents for like an oophorectomy. So taking my ovary, uh, taking my tube. And I'm still thinking to myself, there's just no way. Like, I, I just don't think this is going to happen. Um, I had called my husband, of course. And I was like, no, don't need to worry. Like, you can just see me post-op. And I called my mom. I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I think this will be fine. And of course, my mom calls my sister and my sister calls them both and is like, Bianca is crazy. You need to go right now and you need to go to pre-op, meet her there. This is an emergency. Um, so, of course, everybody shows up and I'm like still not believing that anything is happening. Um, I go to the OR, I wake up and, and the nurse um, who happened to be the daughter of a nurse I work with was like, yeah, they took your tube. It was it was an ectopic. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me. Um, so sure enough, you know, it did rupture my tube and I had blood in my abdomen and uh, Dr. Nett, Dr. Kirsting saved my life. Um, you know, of course that can lead to death. It was pretty wild that that had happened. I called my fertility doctor. I told him what happened. He was shocked as well. Um, and after that, I was like, okay, I need a break. You know, I started questioning, like, why, why is this not working? You know, I had said earlier, like, you put the embryo in the uterus, like, why is my uterus not, you know, taking to these, these babies? I don't understand, especially with a normal first pregnancy. So I sought out a second opinion um, with Dr. Hunter at Kentucky Fertility Institute, and he was wonderful. He took the time to listen to all my concerns. The first thing he said was, I really hate getting stacks of records like this. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. I actually don't even believe that this these, this is me. Like, I don't know how we're here, um, but here we are. So um, he took the time to listen to me and he, you know, had kind of agreed something was off, but, you know, let's go ahead and do another egg retrieval. And, and basically he was like, give me a chance. Um, and one thing he said that really resonated with me that I've kind of tried to use in my practice is let me worry about getting you pregnant you don't need to worry about that anymore um and that was like so powerful to me I've probably told him a million times like I don't think you understand like how much that meant to me you took my worry off my hands just by saying that no other fertility doctor had had told me that at that point um and it was it was an awesome experience with their office. They were wonderful. Um, they cared so much about my outcome. And um, with our second retrieval, we got, we ended up getting two embryos, which shockingly were both boys. Um, 
and we had two embryos that came back unknown. So basically he said he would treat those as untested. Um, and then we had two abnormal embryos and those were also boys, which I found like so crazy. The first time I had pretty much only girls. Um, and so we went in for our first transfer um, after I went to Hawaii again, because my sister ironically had got a trip through work and um, she invited me. And we went, we spent a week there. We had the best time. I ate so much pineapple, which I wasn't thinking at the time, you know, they always say it's tied to fertility. Um, and we were on this like boat touring, you know, this, I forget what the, the area is called. And there was a fertility waterfall that the boat went under. And I was like trying to stand under the water, like so much of it. I was like, give me all the fertility help please um so we came back and we transferred and uh, you know thank god uh, we have our second pregnancy um so that's kind of where we're at now we've got two or one embryo left here two embryos left in cincinnati um from what dr hunter said those embryos in cincinnati aren't the best quality but that doesn't mean they won't take um and then we've got the two unknowns so my fertility journey is still up in the air but um definitely very blessed to, to be pregnant and I'm trying to soak up all of this just in case it is my last um we'd like to grow a family more but you know it really is in God's hands it's it's as I've learned completely out of my control I so appreciate every single detail because there's so much there that I know so many people are going through whether it's one part of that or whether someone has a similar road altogether so to hear everything that you've gone through and you know you're pregnant now with your second healthy little boy and just all of the parts of the journey that you've held on to hope you've sought answers you've done everything you could but also ultimately let go of that control you know given that worry over to the doctor that's really really powerful yeah it was it's definitely been very eye-opening I think you know it it definitely helps me like practice to like you know meeting people like yourself and other people I've come in contact with like it really does help me as a provider you know just empathize with people I'm like hey I know this sucks I know you feel terrible on these hormones you know I know you're worried if you want to come in for heart tones at any time please come if you want an extra ultrasound, I'll find a reason. Um, you know, it's definitely impacted me as a person as a whole and definitely my husband as well. A lot of the people forget about their husbands in the fertility journey and it really is hard for them too, not physically, but just mentally. Because you do, you know, there's lots of tears. There's lots of shots. And usually they're the ones giving the shots. And if you have a husband like mine who's not medical at all, it's a little traumatizing. <laughs> Um, but it's definitely been a journey and I, I'm very grateful to every single person who has helped me, um, you know, get to this point. Yeah. I do feel like a lot of people forget about the partners, whether it's the journey or, you know, the miscarriages or yeah. whatever it is. And everyone handles it differently. Cause I've had some people who can totally relate to our dynamic in a way. And then I've had people who I've talked to have had like a totally different dynamic. So it's always really interesting to hear that too. Yeah. So how common is miscarriage and pregnancy loss? Really? What do you encounter with your patients? And then 
what are some steps um, after miscarriage or kind of in this process? I think statistically miscarriage is one in three. However, I would venture to say it's way more than that. I think just with my experience and with infertility and in my practice, you know, I think the average person realizes they're pregnant at eight weeks. So technically, when you take a positive pregnancy test with your missed period, you're four weeks. Um, so if you can imagine, most people that whole month after don't know they're pregnant, which those of us who like try to get pregnant are like, how do you not know, you know, your cycle, you're pregnant, but a lot of people don't. So I would venture to say it's way more than one in three. I tell my patients, I think it's 50%. I mean, that's not based on anything other than A, knowing how complicated it is, um, but B, knowing that most people don't find out till eight weeks. Um, and in that time, that, that's, you know, that first 12 weeks is is that one in three statistic. So you're most likely to miscarry um, prior to 12 weeks. Once you hit 12 weeks, miscarriage rates less than 1%. Um, usually because, I mean, and again, this is maybe not statistical, but like 90% of miscarriages are because of chromosomal abnormalities. So if the body can recognize something's not forming right early, the body miscarries. Um, and usually if you can make it to 12 weeks, those kiddos are genetically normal, um, or maybe not fully genetically normal, but, you know, developing normally. Um, and so your miscarriage rate goes down, um, If you are experiencing like recurrent early pregnancy loss, I always think it's a good idea to reach out to your GYN or OB provider and just talk to them about it. Um, My fertility doc initially with my chemical pregnancies was like, listen, this is actually a good thing, which it's hard to think it's a good thing, but it is. That means sperm can meet eggs. It can travel through your tube. It can implant in your uterus and send the signals that you are pregnant. So a lot of times people get really frustrated with that, you know, even the term chemical pregnancy and things like that. But it's a good thing to reach out to your provider because they may say, okay, let's check some lab levels. Let's look at your thyroid. Let's maybe take a look at your uterus. Um, Let's talk about your cycles um, and kind of go from there. So that would be my first step. Um, I do love when people come in for a preconception consultation Because, you know, as someone who tried to get pregnant for so long on their own, there are, you know, some things that you need to be doing to time it correctly. Because you've got about a 20% chance of getting pregnant with correct timing. So if you can imagine, you know, the average person is just kind of saying, oh, we're not trying, but we're not preventing. Well, if you're not hitting that window, you're not actually trying. Um, so I, you know, people will come in and be like, oh, we've been trying for a year. And I'm like, what are your cycles? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, okay, let's back up. That's the most important thing to know is, okay, what is the first day of each of your periods? Um, and when people come with, you know, a period, um, app, I love that. I love knowing, you know, if you are testing at home for LH surges or ovulation, um, I love knowing when you're getting your peaks. Um, and I love to know if you're having any irregular bleeding or spotting um, in between. So those are really helpful things to bring to your OB provider when you do go talk to them, um, either for a preconception consult or, you know, I've been trying for six months. Can you help me out? Um, statistically, most people are pregnant by one year. It is a really hard year to wait. Um, when you're trying every month, it can seem like a really, really long time. But if you think about that 20% chance each cycle, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then also just 
from my background to know all of the things that have to happen so perfectly for you to have a baby. I mean, genuinely, every pregnancy is a miracle. Um, and I think it gets overlooked because, of course, it seems so common. Um, and, of course, we're scared our whole lives. You know, if you have sex once, you're going to get pregnant. Um, so I think that perpetuates this, oh, it's going to be easy. You know, I'm going to get pregnant my first time or things like that. Um, when in all actuality, I mean, a year is very normal. Um, and then miscarrying is also very normal. Um, hard, but normal. I found that to be really helpful to hear both of those things. Um, I also had a doctor say to me after our second miscarriage, when you think about all of the things that have to line up so perfectly and, you know, similarly, what a miracle it is to truly become pregnant and carry a baby. It does help you see. I I just found that helpful that it, it helps you see maybe something's not so broken about you. Maybe this is just you know, part of that really challenging process. And of course it's different for everyone, but to hear that, I think normalizes it and helps you understand it a little more when there are so many unknowns or you don't know why something's happening. And similarly with the miscarrying to hear those numbers, it's crazy. The one in three that you said, or maybe even 50, 50. I mean, just to know, even if you don't know people talking about it, just to know and hear that and know you're not alone is pretty powerful. Yeah, you're definitely not alone. Um, I, I, as working as an OB provider, like, I don't think I realized how many people do go through it. Um, that's something that's actually helped me kind of process my own, you know, feelings about infertility and miscarriage is, is honestly just talking about it to people. Um, you know, and a lot of people don't want to talk about it because it's hard to talk about. But when you talk to other people, I think it does like release that like, I don't know, tension and, and stigma too. Um, and everybody copes so differently, like you said. Um, so it's good to find out like, well, how did you recover and how long did you feel like this? And, um, you know, it's therapy in a way definitely is, is my therapy. Probably it's talking to all my patients, um, whether they like it or not. <laughs> I'm sure they like it. I just, <laughs> can still feel your hug from that appointment when we found out the sad news that there wasn't a heartbeat on our baby. I just, that hug meant the world to me and just hearing a little bit, I didn't know your whole story until this conversation, but just even knowing that you had been with having that feeling before and, and understood it was changed everything for me so they, they well I'm glad I was able so to be there with you it's you know that's what makes my job so special and that's what I love about being a midwife is being able to like be there with women um through all the periods of their life you know pregnancy and miscarriage and infertility is a small portion of what we go through as women um so I'm, it's an honor really to be a part of everybody's story in a little way. I, you didn't even deliver my babies, but honestly, you're <laughs> like the provider. When I think about this whole journey, who's been one of the most impactful 
honestly on my entire life. Um, And I think it goes to show that the person or people who spend your hardest moments of your pregnancy journey or really any medical journey and their bedside manner and practices can really, for better or for worse, change your entire life. Um, So I wanted to ask you, how do you advise selecting a pregnancy provider or practice and when is the best time to do this? I think picking a provider is definitely very like personal. I, I never mind doing like consults or phone interviews or you coming in and meeting me or any of our team of midwives. Um, I think clicking on like a personal level is, is really important because this is kind of the most, you know, personal moment of your life. You know, you're so exposed, you're so vulnerable Um, So you need to find a provider or a team of providers that really understands you and is willing to take the time to, um, you know, not just be on the surface level, I think. Um, I think, you know, you can always start pre-pregnancy if you can. If you don't love your gynecological provider and you know they deliver babies and you know it's not like the best fit for your obstetrical um, or like, you know, your wishes for labor and delivery, um, then I would start trying to find a GYN provider that also aligns with that. Um, I have people who have even switched, you know, 37, 38 weeks. So it's never too late. You know, if you are in your pregnancy and you're like, I don't think I'm being heard. I don't think, you know, they're understanding my needs or you just want something different. I think it's appropriate at any point to reach out um, and find someone you're comfortable with. That's so good to know, because I do feel like once you get to a certain point, you people probably think that ship has kind of sailed. But to hear that there are people who switch that late and you can still do that is is really important. Can you share a little bit about what the difference is between a midwife and an OB? And are there different types of midwives? So really mid- midwives, um, then the type of midwife I am is a certified uh, nurse midwife. Um, we take care of the low risk obstetrical patients, people who become complicated in their pregnancy do transfer to an OB. Say you developed hyper- a hypertensive disorder or um, diabetes requiring insulin, or you had a very small growth restricted baby, um, those people do transfer out of our care as well. Um, I think the biggest difference probably would be in our training. I think there's a lot to be said when you start off as a nurse. I love telling people I'm a nurse. I'm probably the most proud of that. Not that I don't love being a midwife. I think it's the, you know, amazing, but um, being a nurse is such a unique job. You know, you're so hands-on with the patient at the bedside. Um, You know, of course, you've got that medical um, training as well, but you've got like that personal touch. And I think that's where a lot of midwives get their bedside manner from is just by being at the bedside. Um, Whereas an OB is trained very different. You know, they're surgeons. They're trained um, to come in there and deal with the higher risk, the things that need their immediate attention, the things in the ER, you know, some scary things where as a nurse, I'm trained with the low risk things and I can, you know, learn to take my time and bond with the patients a little bit differently, I think, than like a resident may um, as they're going through their training. Um, So that's kind of the difference I see um, with midwives versus OBs, because we do follow those same standards of care. There are different types of midwives, they're certified practical, and then there are lay midwives. Um, 
each of which kind of has their own set of training. I can speak to the certified nurse midwife as that's the kind of training I have. Um, you know, we, we're labor nurses typically first. Um, for varying amounts of years, there's no requirement typically for how long you have to do it. Um, but I feel like most of the midwives I work with has several years of labor and delivery, which really builds your foundation as a midwife. Um, and then you go back for your master's degree. Then we have training with midwives and OBGYNs prior to starting our practice. Um, I think it was like 600 and something hours and 40 plus deliveries. Um, so it's a nice training program. I know certified practical midwives, I don't think they, and don't quote me on this, but I don't think they have to be a nurse prior to becoming a midwife. Um, and then lay midwives don't have to have any experience um, or training. They just kind of get trained by the people who train them. Um, probably kind of have more midwifery started. What are some misconceptions people have about midwives? Have you run into any misconceptions that have been interesting or you've had to kind of help people through? Yeah, I definitely think people kind of put us in a box of um, going against the grain, whether that's a good or bad thing. Um, I have a lot of people who, you know, I'll say, okay, you know, baby is measuring this big, um, you're small, really. Um, and we do need to do an induction or your fluid's really low and we need to do an induction or you're reaching, you know, 42 weeks, it's time to have a baby. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait, I didn't think you did, you, you do that. I thought I was coming to see a midwife and you weren't going to intervene. And, you know, I didn't think you did that. Um, so I do like to tell all my patients that like initial prenatal, like we do follow the standards of care. Um, you know, we may be a little more patient, a little more present, um, but I don't, you know, I think people think, oh, you're going to get somebody who's just going to kind of let you do whatever, even though it's not recommended. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions. A lot of people also think if they come see me, they can't get an epidural, which is not the case. Um, I have a lot of women who choose epiduralized births, a lot of women who choose natural births. And for me, it makes no difference. I just usually tell my patients, I just want you to feel heard. I want you to have the opportunities to feel what you want to feel. And then at some point, if you don't, then that's up to you. Um, so that's that's kind of the common misconceptions, I think. Yeah, that's so interesting. I feel like I've seen misconceptions out there with that too. So it's it's interesting to hear more and just learn more about midwifery and how all of that works. What are your favorite resources or any midwife secrets for pregnant moms? Yeah. <laughs> um, spinning babies is by far my absolute favorite tool. I can't believe as a nurse, I didn't know about spinning babies. Whenever I found out about it in my midwifery training, I literally immediately ran to my, my hospital labor and delivery nurse manager. And I was like, we are missing out. Every single nurse, every single provider, they all need to know about spinning babies. Um, it is one of the coolest courses I've ever taken. Um, and we, you know, at our hospital and in our practice, use the information so much. Um, and you can go to spinningbabies.com and like literally read so, so, so much. Um, but essentially, it, the what it breaks down to is how your body is balanced and how that impacts how you carry your baby um, and how you deliver your baby. So say 
you know, um, you were told you can only sleep on your side and you've only been sleeping on your side and you are totally uncomfortable at night and you're having aches and pains, but you know, you've just been sleeping on your side because that's what you've been told. Um, you might develop tension or relaxation on one side or the other. Um, and that can impact how the baby sits in the uterus. Um, and then of course, how the baby's sitting in the uterus at 39 weeks when you're about to labor is going to impact how the baby descends into the pelvis, um, which can impact your length of labor, your pain, um, pushing. I mean, it impacts everything. So, um, too much tension, too much relaxation can, can cause a problem. And spinning babies has a lot of stretches and exercises that address that. Um, so a lot of times I do give my patients homework and say, yeah, you need to be doing sideline release every single day. You can do it twice a day for so many minutes. They have really handy guides for nurses too, um, as far as positioning and labor. So say, you know, you feel the baby sutures and the baby's laying this way. Okay, then we know we need to reposition you to, you know, these, they have some crazy names of positions to use, but, um, you know, runner's position, or we need to do closed knee with a peanut ball. Um, so it's so, so cool. I, I love doing it in labor because, um, I mean, it's kind of like a personal challenge for me. You know, you run into this like, okay, this patient stalled. How can I fix this situation? I find it really interesting, like when people's water breaks and they're not in labor, a lot of times it's because of fetal malposition. So say somebody comes in and they're two centimeters or water's broken, they're not contracting. I may say, let's do some spinning baby stuff. Because as soon as that baby turns in the right position, meets the cervix a little bit better I think your body just sends signals that are like oh okay it's time to come out versus you know not contracting because it's not getting those signals it's not getting that pressure um to tell your uterus to contract that makes sense and I know at the time I didn't know why but I know that um I did like the peanut thing between my legs and side lying with Harper and I, at the time, was like, I don't know what this is, but sure, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. That sounds good. And then things like yeah. sped up after that. So, so that's yeah. kind of cool to hear yeah. the logic behind that. So what is your self-care non-negotiable? As a busy mom, as a mom who is growing a tiny human right now, <laughs> what's one thing that either you're working on mentally or physically to prioritize more, maybe as part of your routine? Um, I definitely like to find some quiet time in my day, like just to kind of like reflect on like on the day and on the time and just think like, you know, about things I can do better, um, situations that have presented themselves that day. Um, I love taking a walk. Um, it's funny because my son now says, mommy, can we take a nice walk? Because I'm always like, come on. Let's take a nice walk Um, just to kind of decompress. Um, So that's something. And honestly, we kind of have been working on it as a family. I might not be alone in my walk, but I do find being outside, being connected, you know, to nature and the sun. um, It really does. It makes a difference on me mentally. Um, So I love that's something I've been trying to do, especially while being pregnant. It's just going for walks um, with my dog or my son or my husband. so that's my, that's my goal and slash a non-negotiable. I'm like, I have to get outside today. I agree. 
That's amazing that he asked to go on nice walks. I love that. Yeah. So sweet. A nice walk. <laughs> this was amazing. So amazing. Aww. Thank you so much for being here, for your openness, for sharing all of your expertise, for sharing your journey and just everything. Oh, well, thank it. you so much. Such an honor just to like share my story. If I can touch, you know, anybody with it, I think that would mean like the world to me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. If you know anyone who's going through something similar to Bianca, please make sure to share this episode with them. When I was going through recurrent miscarriage, it was so helpful to hear the stories of other people who were going through or had gone through it and especially hearing about people's subsequent successful pregnancies. It really gave me hope and helped me to feel less alone. If you're local to Louisville, Kentucky, you can find Bianca at the Advocates for Women's Health Practice. She is a full-scope gynecological provider and also sees low-risk obstetrical patients. Thank you so much for listening today and being part of the Mind Body Mother community. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'd also love if you could rate and review the podcast. It helps other moms find these conversations with incredibly inspiring guests like Bianca. 